Our scripture reading today is taken from James chapter 4, verse 13 to chapter 5, verse 11. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there, doing business and making money. Yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Anyone, then, who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, commits sin. Come now, you rich people, weep and wail for the miseries that are coming to you. Your riches have rotted, and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted, and their rust will be evidence against you, and it will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure for the last days. Listen, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in pleasure. You have fatted your hearts on a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous one who does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Beloved, do not grumble against one another, so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. As an example of suffering and patience, beloved, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Indeed, we call blessed those who showed endurance. You have heard of the endurance of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Greetings. We uh, thank you for tuning in once again to our virtual service here at Western Park Baptist Church. Um, We've been looking at the book of James as a way of wisdom. And as we are drawing to a close to this book, we we trust that we can still glean some good pieces from it that speak to our everyday life. I want to start with a quote uh, from Martin Luther King, Jr., He said these words, So I say to you, seek God and discover him and make him a power in your life. Without him, all of our efforts turn to ashes and our sun rises into darkest nights. Without him, life is a meaningless drama with the decisive scenes missing. But with him, we are able to rise from the fatigue of despair to the buoyancy of hope. With him, we are able to rise from the midnight of desperation to the daybreak of joy. St. Augustine was right. We were made for God, and we will be restless until we find rest in him. Last week, we talked about God as a God who is always coming to us. He comes to us in the incarnation. He just keeps coming to us through his Holy Spirit and all of our situations, each day to day, God is with us. And the invitation for us is to open our hearts to the God who comes to us. 
And so Martin Luther King Jr. here is saying that our fundamental reason for existence is to essentially discover God and to come into relationship with him. So that if we show up, God shows up. We will discover him. And so we carry on with that idea. How do we discover God? How do we open our hearts to him? What is James saying to those issues? So that we might really come into a relationship and find the fundamental uh, calling for our lives. So that's where we're headed here as we move to an end in the book of James. So we begin with these words from the end of chapter 4. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there, doing business and making money. Yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring, James says. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So the invitation is here is to, to look to God and to trust in God and to keep him the center of all we're about. So it's, it's an invitation to a holistic way of living. It's not about precluding God from all of our planning. It's not meaning we don't think about what's to come. You know, we, we like to plan ahead. We like to see, okay, next year maybe I'll, you know, we'll go and we'll visit such a place. And that's, that's an aspiration. So James is not saying don't do that. But don't separate the parts of your lives into the private, into the public, your parts with God and those other parts that aren't with God, so that he's not in all that we do. So we're not to exclude God. That's what James is saying. So the example here is excluding him from business, from perhaps economic questions, money issues, living in a secular world. We're not to limit God, but to live an integrated life where God is in all that we say and do. That, that's the invitation that James is saying. So don't say, tomorrow I'm going to do this, or next year I'm going to do this, and it's all based on who I am and what I want, and I'm not thinking about where God is in my life at all, or my family, my church. It's just me. James is saying that's the kind of thinking and actions that will get us in trouble. So not excluding God. So he says in verse 15, Rather, you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. It's keeping mindful that we live our lives with God in all we say and do in a holistic, integrated manner. That's really what this end of chapter four, of chapter four is about, to keep God central, James is saying. So not to exclude God from any part of our day-to-day -day agenda. God is our partner. He's with us. Keep God a friend. Last week we looked at God being a friend of ours. Abraham is noted, cited as a friend. Other places in Scripture, Moses is a friend. David's a friend. We are also invited to be friends. And we're invited to do that in our day-to-day. -day. So it's interesting, Joan Chichester, who I cited last week, she talks about life in this way. She talks about the spirituality of dailiness. The spirituality of dailiness. Meaning, being with God in our day-to-day. -day. In fact, she says that in terms of our spiritual journey, the crises in our lives are not really the main issues. 
The main issues that shape our spirituality is and are the events that happen in the day-to-day, every day, in the routine, in the monotony, in the boredom, in this pandemic when we're all locked up and we're, you know, we're cut off from other people. But this is our day-to-day right now. Chichester is saying the spirituality of dailiness. So whatever your day is right now, whatever my day is right now, to keep God the center in that and to look to him. In fact, that is the place of growth, she is saying. Because really, our lives are made up of our day-to-days. Whatever your day-to-day is ultimately what your life is about. It's not shaped by the big crises. It's finally your day-to-day. So the spirituality of dailiness. Do not exclude God, James is saying, but keep him centered in all that you say and do. That's his beginning word to the church in Jerusalem at this point. That life is a gift, to receive it as a gift, to not become boastful, to not become arrogant, he says in verse 16, but to look to God, go through your day with him in relationship, trusting in him. So an integrated holistic response, that's first big piece. James then goes on and he says, come now you rich people, weep and wail for the miseries that are coming to you. Your riches have rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have rusted and their rust will be evidence against you and it will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure for the last days. Interesting here, James goes on and he speaks to the broader culture. He's not speaking actually to the members of the church at this point. It's a a prophetic statement to the entire community, the whole community of Jerusalem and Israel. James is now speaking as a prophet, just as Amos spoke centuries earlier. So now James is speaking a prophetic word, and it's a word saying, don't get lost in your riches so that it's all about you and what you can do and buy and see and so on, but to, to remember who we are before God. So one writer has this description about those days of James and of Jesus. During the period of Jesus' ministry in the time before the Jewish war, those who owned their own farms were forced to pay tribute to the Romans. Under Herod Antipas, as much as 25% of their income every other year, heavily taxed. Freeman goes on to say those who lost their property through foreclosure become hired hands of the wealthy absentee landlords. Galilee was a peasant culture that had to support the lavish lifestyle of the minority ruling class. Concludes that is exactly the situation being described by James, although it was certainly not limited to Galilee. A peasant culture They had to support the lavish lifestyle of the minority ruling class. The 99% supporting the 1%. And the 1% living in great luxury. Meanwhile, those who are working day-to-day journeymen, they are having real challenges. And Jesus came from that very lot. Jesus was a working person. Jesus would have been called poor. I mean, Nazareth was just a little village, 200 people. There was nothing special about it at all. 
Galilee, there was nothing special about it. It was just a simple, poor place. Regular folk living their day. Not a lot of money. Jesus comes from that. That is the church in Jerusalem at the day. And so James steps back and he has this prophetic word to the ruling uh, class in that first century. How and where do we see it? Well, verse 4, they are holding back the wages of people who um, have earned it. They've, they've worked the day and they need their money. It's much like that in Bolivia today, too. It's, it's if you work, you sell something, you get enough to buy what you need that night. So if you don't get a few coins, you're not going to be able to buy the bread. It goes day by day, just simple day to day. The ruling class here are said and told that they are holding back the wages of those who have earned it, number one. And secondly, in verse 5, they're opulent living. James goes on, your wealth is rusting. You are living in luxury while others have need. You are storing up wealth instead of helping others. That was definitely a no-no in terms of the prophets. If you are storing up your gold bars higher and higher and higher, meanwhile all your neighbors have needs, then we, you are not functioning as the way you are called to do in the community. The rich are to help take care of those who are in need, not store up all their wealth. So that idea, which people do today, was not accepted in the first century in Palestine. If you are rich, then you help out. But these people are being critiqued because they are not. So this statement here in the beginning of chapter 5 is not a statement directly to the church because the church folk didn't have a lot of wealth. Nevertheless, we're not to ignore the text. So what is there in chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, that can speak to us today? So it's not directed to us immediately, but we hear the spirit of it. So what, what does it say to us in our own reality? Are there any ways that I'm engaging in my behavior that puts others down or oppresses others? Am I doing all I can to help others? Does my lifestyle hurt people in the day-to-day, -day, even in a way that I'm not aware of? And certainly in our buying practices, we should be aware of that. How does my purchase, what's the uh, end game on that? How does that impact the other person? So, we, you know, we need to sit with it. We don't necessarily feel that we are wealthy by any means, but my use of money, my not just money, but my spirit and my actions? Am I oppressing anyone else? In our day, there, there's much discussion about oppression, and, and it's legitimate. And so how am I part of that in any way, wherever that is seen? So James speaks to this second issue. So we are to be a holistic culture in Christ, but we are also to be a just community in Christ, not unjust, second piece. That leads us to the third piece, and I would say that this is really the, the core that I want to talk about today. So James says in the last unit, verses 7 through to 12, here's part of it. Be patient, therefore, beloved, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious crop from the earth, being patient with it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is near. So thirdly, we are to have a steadfast 
discipleship. And the first characteristic of this is the word patience. And so if you just take the time to read verses 7 to 11, you'll note that the word patience is repeated four different times. We see it in verse 7 twice, in verse 8, and verse 10. Patience. We are called to be a patient community. We are called to be patient persons of faith as we know Jesus. Patience is to persevere. It's to engage in our daily spirituality one step at a time looking to God. So it's not passive resignation, but James says it's like the prophets. It's like Job. It's maintaining and a walk, a journey with Christ to keep persevering in the Lord. So patience is that idea. And so for us, as we know our Trinitarian God, to be open to the Father's work in us, to recognize God as our God, the Father, our parent, to recognize Christ as the Son, who is the incarnation of God's presence with us, to recognize that reality. And then thirdly, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the communication of God's love of the Father and Son to us. So we are never alone. Father, Son, Spirit are with us. And because of that, because of that Trinitarian presence of God the unity and God the Trinity walking with us, then we can persevere. That's what James is really saying. At the same time, patience, we know, shares the root with uh, suffering. So pati, patience, is suffering. And if we are called to patience, then there's probably some element where, you know, we have to persevere in that day-to-day, that dailiness spirituality that the writer speaks of. That's hard. That's a grind. And so patience can have this aspect of suffering. But like Job and like the prophets, they suffered, but they continued to trust in God. So there may may be that piece going on in your life. So we recognize that patience can be hard because suffering can be an element of that. But at the same time, it ends that there is this dimension of hope. So verse 7, we are like the farmer who waits for the crop to grow, so for the harvest to come. And so we look forward in hope and trust that our horizon finally is one of trust. Father, Son, Spirit, for you, for me, therefore we can trust. The farmer trusts that the harvest indeed will come, the rains will come, and all the work is worth it. James is saying for us to engage day by day in a spirit of hope. Because God is with us and God is a God of hope. So it's our statement of yes in our faith. Patience. So I don't know what you feel like when somebody says be patient. You know, I mean, sometimes we just feel like kicking the person, right? I mean, I don't want to be told to be patient. Nevertheless, James is saying that's our invitation. To live in hope. To not live as Debbie Downer, you know what I mean? As to be always... Negative. And that leads us to the second characteristic because it's one of grumbling. Note in verse 9 Beloved, do not grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. See, the judge is standing at the doors. So, note, beloved, 
This means James is speaking to the church. He's now left the rich outsiders, and now he's speaking inside. Church family, be patient. Church family, do not grumble against one another. So it's in-house language. And we can find ourselves grumbling and complaining and being negative, even with our brothers and sisters in Christ. You spend a lot of time with people, then people rub each other, we can fall into grumbling. Now, of course, that was the besetting sin of Israel. They were complainers. They were grumbling. And God, after a while, was not very happy about it. And so for us, we are to have this characteristic of patience, but it's also to be seen in not grumbling, not complaining, not going negative. We all recognize that life is hard. Your life's hard, my life is hard. We all have those elements, but that doesn't give us a right to just complain. You can complain on your own, by yourself, great. But when you're with your family, when you're with others, when you're with, in the body of Christ, that's not our invitation. Because when we do that, we are not recognizing the goodness of God. Note how it ends in verse 11, where James calls God both compassionate and merciful. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful, which means God is good. So if we always go around complaining and are negative, then we are saying, I don't see the goodness of God. I don't see the God of mercy. And because of that, then I have a right to complain. But James is saying, if you lift up your eyes, if I lift up my eyes, we'll have hope and trust in God who is a good God for you and for me. So not to be complaining, not to be grumbling. So how do we hear that? How do we receive that? We're all having our challenges in these days. And they're real. But that doesn't mean we just have a freedom to complain and judge one another. That's not the case. And then thirdly, James talks to us and wants us to strengthen our hearts. You also must be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. To strengthen can be to steady, can to be established. It's to double down in our commitment to know God, to be single-minded, and to look to him, to strengthen your heart. Have a single-minded focus on God. Strengthen your heart. A holistic discipleship where we keep looking to him, keep trusting in him. So how can you strengthen your heart? What does that even mean for you? Strengthen your heart. Well, what part of your heart? Your commitment, your love, your kindness, your mercy. Strengthen your heart. Perseverance. Steady your heart. Establish your heart. Different translations. To recognize the power of our heart to keep saying yes. Last week we showed this mind map and it uh, centered on the word humble or humility. And if we, instead of had humility there, had patience there, not grumbling, then how how do we bring these facets together so that we are patient and not grumbling? Submitting. Resisting the devil, draw near to God, cleanse, purify, lament. How do we bring all those things together? It's, it's a mind map. It's actually a good journaling experience. I used to do it with my students. You just get a clean piece of paper, and you have some issue, 
and you just start drawing lines out in circles of what ideas come to mind and the idea is as you see that in a new way maybe something percolates and you get a bit of clarity. So hence the idea of a mind map. James 4, 7 and 8 says say no, be patient, say yes, draw close to God and then verse 8, stay focused, single-minded on God. Keep going with him. Keep trusting in him. So in summary, James is saying we have a holistic discipleship, that's the invitation, a just discipleship. How do I practice justice in my day-to-day? And then finally, a patient and steadfast discipleship. So it's a very practical movement as James starts going towards concluding the letter. Holistic, just, patient, that's our invitation. So we go back to our opening quote with uh, Martin Luther King. He says, so I say to you, seek God and discover him and make him a power in your life. Without him, all of our efforts turn to ashes and our sun rises in the darkest nights. Without him, life is a meaningless drama with the decisive scenes missing. But with him, we are able to rise from the fatigue of despair to the buoyancy of hope. With him, we are able to rise from the midnight of desperation to the daybreak of joy. St. Augustine was right. We were made for God, and we will be restless until we find rest in him. How do we move from darkness to light? How do we move from discouragement to joy? I don't know if you ever saw the film on Martin Luther King. It was just out a couple of years ago, a very fine movie uh, of him and the, uh, the walk to Selma when they were protesting and they were speaking to the issues of justice and freedom from oppression. And so it centers on that day in Selma when they are crossing the bridge and what was going to be the response of the police to that situation. And so King was very concerned about this, and he didn't know what the response was going to be. And in fact, he anticipated that there would be lots of violence. And the night before, he's very concerned, and he, he goes to the phone and he calls his sister, his sister Mahalia Jackson, who's a singer, wonderful singer of the day. And King says, I need to be encouraged. I'm discouraged. And Mahalia just starts singing. And she just starts singing into that telephone that God is with him, that he is there. He is his strength. Just sings a song. And that's the end of it. So, you know, what are the practices that will keep us living in hope? How do we dig down into that reality of our spirituality of dailiness so that we have hope, faith, love, joy, the fruit of the Spirit, instead of focusing on um, negativity, complaint, grumbling, thinking badly of one another. That's the invitation here. So I pray that through this week, whatever way we can, that we will look to God as our hope, our strength, be patient in him, be hopeful in him, even joyful in him, 
as we say yes to the Father, Son, Spirit. And I pray these words and offer them to you. In Jesus' name, amen.